might be a Viking or a Saxon or a Roman, but tell me, do you like them? Would you sex them? Would you bone them? Would you go to bed with King Ethelred? Would you bunk William the Conqueror up in the sheets with Samuel Pepys? Mussolini was a meanie, led a fascist insurrection, but does he make you creamy? Does he give you an erection? Would you pork Richard the Duke of York? Does a bonus start when you think of Bonaparte? Are you sexually aroused at the thought of Pol Pot? Historical hot or not? Hello and welcome to Historical Hot or Not, the only history podcast that looks at the life and times of history's most celebrated figures and asks, yes, but would you? It's the pod parchment that puts the ass in Renaissance, the lad in Vladimir Lenin, the clit in Heraclitus. I am your co-host, Aidan McCaffrey. I am not a historian, and this is... Catherine Mather, who is also not a historian, but I do very much appreciate your intros, Aidan. Uh, they're getting more and more specific, and I'm here for it. <laughs> Kath, I'm one day going to run out of historical figures and events that contain lewd sexual <laughs> words in them. But until that day comes... Then will I have to start writing them? We'll just have to change the entire theme of the podcast to something different, like... Uh, gardening or something. Yeah, <laughs> gardening, hot or not, where I come up with as many, you know, hedge-based sex puns as possible. <laughs> we are comedians, we are horny for history. Kath, if you were part of a harem serving a powerful man in history, mm-hmm. sexually, mm-hmm. would you prefer to do it in shifts or just as a regular nine-to-five? Goodness me. Well. I think the good part of shift work uh, is that, you know, because you work the, the unsociable hours, then you can end up uh, having maybe like a Tuesday afternoon free, which is a good time <laughs> to go to the supermarket. So I do see the merits of shift work. Would you get paid the same? Because that was the, the downside of shift work for me. Let's assume the salary is constant in both. Oh, okay. Shift work, don't you? Sometimes it's nice to spend the Tuesday in town when it's not busy and not exactly. sucking off a sultan. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's nice to be able to sort of go to um, a museum and not have to navigate pe- other people's children. Because when you're in the museum at the weekends, there's kids everywhere, families, people pushing prams. Mm-hmm. Not on Wednesday, though. No, no. And then on Saturday afternoon, you, you're just, you know, sucking D. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And also, often you get the bank holidays back as part of shift work and it just goes added onto your annual leave. Mm. So you get technically, you know, long, you can have longer periods off from sitting on an Ottoman ruler's face. So Yeah, so where do I sign? <laughs> I'll send you the documents and if you could send me the P60 from your last job and we'll get you signed up. Historical hot or not? I was listening to a podcast about the father of gynaecology, and did you know, whenever you had a minge exam uh, in the olden days, they wouldn't look at it because that was improper, so they'd just stare you directly in the eyes (laughs) as they felt you pussy. (laughs) That's how I finger blast people, so I guess that makes me a a minge doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Can you think of anything more uncomfortable? I wouldn't want my doctor staring me in the face. Dead in the eye. If anything, I'd rather the doctor just went down on me than stare dead <laughs> in my eye while checking if I had ball cancer. I'd have a better time if he did that. Can you imagine if that was the only way to find out if you had ball cancer? <laughs> what, get, get sucked off? Yeah. 
every week I'd be in there going, I think I found another lump. <laughs> There'd be so many false calls. <laughs> you can't be this paranoid about it. Remember that the ball is generally lumpy. Just get down there, okay? It's supposed to be free at the point of entry, whatever it's called, the NHS. Well, this is a strong start to the episode. <laughs> it really is. Uh, should we first explain the premise and then do the premise of the podcast that we're doing? That's how podcasts work. Shoot. Mm-hmm. Each week, I will bring Aidan, a lovely lady, or Aidan will bring me uh, some guy from history, and uh, we have to decide if we would fuck them. And uh, and if we would, they go on the Bayer tap that history, uh, and if we wouldn't, they can get to fuck, I think. They can rot in hell. <laughs> yeah, for all I care. Are we objectifying people? Yeah. Are we being serious? Yes. So <laughs> I like how you change your tune from episode one, Kath. In episode one, you were like, we don't mean any of this. But now you're like, I mean this. I'm mm-hmm. deadly serious. If, if, I don't, if I don't want them, they are dead to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're all dead anyway. So true. actually dead and to me. Indeed. This week, it's my turn. So without further ado, Agent, we're talking about Judy. She's 20. And she's from Shanghai. Ooh. Now, at this point, we would usually share a photograph uh, from her dating profile on the fictional app eTrust. However, I am tired and don't have a picture of her. <laughs> I'll just have to explain what she looks like. She has got dark eyes. She's, she's white. Uh, she's female. Uh, she's got... Got dark hair, cute little nose. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to say yes, but because I was watching broadcast news this morning and you've just described how Holly Hunter looks <laughs> in that film. So all I can think about now is Holly Hunter and broadcast news, which I'm sure is not who you've picked. So I'm, I'm just going to say yes. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, we're, we're cooking on gas, baby. Judy, she was born in Shanghai in February 1937 to Kelly of Sussex. Uh, and she spent some time on the streets of Shanghai before she met, uh, began her naval career aboard the HMS Nat. Uh, and then she moved on to her sister ship, which was a river gunboat called the HMS Grasshopper. She had a talent for being able to hear fighter planes approach before the other sailors could, so she would alert them as an early warning. Very good hearing do you like good hearing in a woman uh no i like them to not be able to hear any of my bullshit because i feel like if they could hear anything i said i'm not getting a second date yeah no i agree with that i, I ideally i don't even prefer that i prefer them to not even have ears <laughs> that's a rule a hole on each side with a bit of cotton wool stuck in each hole i like a bird yeah, that's what I'm into. Yeah. If you know any women with claws for feet, you send it my way. <laughs> the cloaca. <laughs> so and that would be horrendous because the everything comes out of the cloaca, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay. Just one hole for everything. I like the utility of that of the cloaca. <laughs> yeah. But if you but if you're talking about cunnilingus, it it raises some issues. Yeah. Well, if you want to do some research for the podcast, then go and lick out bird uh, and then let us know next episode during her time on the hms net she fell overboard 
in November 1936. The crew had to return for her, and it was logged as a man overboard. Uh, she also discovered pirates trying to get on the ship around this time, and she was able to get the crew together, and they all got rid of them. A year later, November 1937, the Nat met up with uh, an American vessel called the USS Penney, and the two crews had a big old party as you do. Uh, upon departure the next day, the crew of the net realised that Judy was not with them, so they contacted the crew of the Pinet, who said that she wasn't there either, but word reached the crew of the net that she was, in fact, on board the Pinet. So a party from the net boarded the American vessel and stole the ship's bell, uh, and within an hour she was released back to them. Which sounds awful doesn't it really? What would you steal to keep your woman? I'd like to say I'd steal a child. That's how great my love for my woman is. Yeah. But I've got a feeling the sentence for that is going to be quite long. What I'm saying is I'm a married man, but if the only option is to to steal a child, then sorry wife, uh, I'm reinstalling Tinder. (laughs) Uh, It's like Taken only you wouldn't have gone to Turkey. In that analogy, I'm the guys that have stolen Liam Neeson's daughter, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, you are, actually. The thing is, Taken's a popular film with dads, because we, mm. we all like to think, that's what we'd do in that situation, isn't it? Mm-hmm. We'd ring them up and threaten them in a gravelly Irish accent, but um, I don't think I would. I don't have a special set of skills. I mean, I can barely do comedy, <laughs> you know what I mean? What am I supposed to do? Ring up these people that have kidnapped my daughter and go, I've got a very specific set of skills, which is I can be funny if I've given a lot of time to write the material beforehand and if the audience don't interrupt me or heckle me too much during the set. In those specific circumstances, I've got a very special set of skills and none of them will help me get my daughter back. (laughs) So uh, just keep her. I'll make another one. (laughs) I've got a very special set of skills and all of them are (laughs) (laughs) pun-based. Yeah, exactly. I've got a very special set of skills, uh, and they're largely observational. Let me tell you about shower dials. (laughs) So while they were docked in Hankow, I'll be honest, a lot of these places in this episode, it's set in Asia, and uh, I'm going to be butchering a lot of place names, so I do apologise. The main feature of this is that we're we're wondering whether this person, whether these people we discussed are going to end up on the biotap thatistry. Mm-hmm. I realised listening to a podcast about the biotap that history, I've been saying it wrong for all of those episodes. Yeah. Because I've been saying biotap that history, but I think it's actually biotap that history. So what I'm saying is, start as we mean to go on. Mm-hmm. Just keep saying everything wrong. We've told him we're not historians. We've told him we're, we're comedians. <laughs> and uh, if they want phonetic accuracy, well, go to the History of English podcast. Yeah. You ain't going to find it here. Don't use this as a study aid for your GCSEs, for God's sake. <laughs> oh, God, no. Can you imagine some kid writing about Thomas Beckett? Like, <laughs> he got a knife through his head and Catherine Martha would not ride him. Yeah. <laughs> he's getting, not an E, he's getting, like, one of those letters below that you, that you never think actually exist in GCSE. Like, you've got an R. And a letter home to your mum and dad. <laughs> <laughs> saying you need really need to monitor this kid's pod content. So while they were docked in Hankow in early uh, 1938, uh, which you may know as modern-day Wuhan, which none of us have heard of until two years ago, Judy took a fancy to Paul, 
who was on board the French vessel, the Francis Gardiner. The two crews had an impromptu wedding for the pair, and the couple went on to have 13 children, which is an insane number. Do you think you could look after 13 dependents? I'm not sure if I could look after a goldfish, to be honest. Let alone 13 goldfish, let alone 13 kids. My grandma had 10 kids. And it's just like, and they actually, to be fair, they pretty much all turned out fine. Mm. Apart from my dad, he's a bit of a twat. But you know, the, the rest of them... They sort of, they all kind of turned out fine, and I don't know why. I wonder if you would love number 13 as much as you love number one. Surely they just become white noise. <laughs> Which is now making me think maybe I could have 13 kids, because I struggle to sleep. <laughs> so rather than downloading a white noise app, I could just have 13 kids running around screaming, vomiting, and shitting. Headspace. Yeah, I'm not going to write to Headspace and say, I've got an idea for a new sound effect. Two dozen children <laughs> begging for attention that none of them will receive. It's so stressful. And they're just like, eh, I think we'll just stick to crashing oceans, to be honest. <laughs> the HMS Grasshopper was sent to Singapore in June 1939 after the British declaration of war on Germany. And after initially quiet stay, she was involved in the disastrous Battle of Singapore from the 8th to the 15th of February 1942. On the 15th of February, the HMS Grasshopper was hit by three bombs and the crew were able to make it to shore and lifeboats, only to realise that Judy was not with them. So they returned to find that she'd been trapped under some lockers uh, and they were able to release her. The island that they landed on was apparently uninhabited and had little to no food or water beyond what they'd managed to bring with them. Judy began to dig in the sand, uncovering fresh water, and was credited with saving everyone's lives. The crew camped on the beach for five days with Judy protecting them from snakes before a boat arrived and they began the journey to Padang to be evacuated. Hang on, why is Judy doing all the heavy lifting here? Um... I don't know. She's just... Why, why Why is it up to her to protect everyone from snakes? Because she could, I guess. Why? Was she like a snake whisperer or something? No. Well, she had... I mean, she was a dog. Did I, did I mention that she's a dog? Wow. <laughs> no, you didn't mention that she was a dog. <laughs> okay. So, she's a dog. So when I said <laughs> you've described Holly Hunter, I was way off. A little bit off. Yeah, yeah. Wow. She's interesting. Are you, t- are you telling me this has been boring? No, no. I've, I've been hooked. Although I'm now just imagining myself banging a dog. Yeah. Uh, and that's interesting. Okay, the snakes now make sense. I mean, the water thing's actually quite impressive. Right. I think she could smell it or something. I don't know. The dog, like, irrigated. Is that the right word? It, it, sure. plumbed, it plumbed the island for them. Yeah. That's good, isn't it? Good on her. She's a fucking hero. Anyway, to get to Padang, they had it was a two hundred mile trek through the jungle. She was attacked by a crocodile, and the crew patched up a six inch wound as best as they could. But even wounded, she managed to warn the travellers of approaching predators, even saving them from a Sumatran tiger. Unfortunately, upon their arrival at Padang, they realised they'd missed the evacuation by nine days, and were crippled quickly taken as prisoners of war on the 18th of March 1942. So she was the first and dare I say only dog to be taken as a prisoner of war by the Japanese. I think that reflects badly on the Japanese. I'm yeah. a big dog fan. If I was taking prisoners, it would just be dogs <laughs> for, my, for my own amusement. Yeah. I'd probably like, get fired from the army. You know, they show up at the POW camp and they, let's see what you've got for us. And it's like, why have you got just 12 Alsatians and no actual allied <laughs> soldiers here? And I'm like, yeah, well, look how cute they are. <laughs> oh, you dog. 
Look how cute dog. Eden, it appears that you've adopted a pack of dogs. <laughs> <laughs> We're losing the war. <laughs> this isn't helping the situation. I think that's how Battersea Dog Song was created. Don't hold <laughs> me to it, but I think that's what happened. That might also be why the Nazis lost the war, because the, the Nazis were famous animal lovers. They were, like Hitler was a vegetarian, mm-hmm. and they just had a prisoner of war camp adjacent to Auschwitz that was just uh, full of border terriers. No, we joke, but genuinely, during the Second World War, we took two German pigeons as prisoners of war. <laughs> Is that because they were carrier pigeons? Yeah, we'll have to do an episode, find somewhere to do an episode about pigeons in the Second World War, because, my God... It is insane. <laughs> how, do you, how do you torture a pigeon for information? There's a, a Pixar film called Valiant. Uh, it's a very good film. Uh, it's about pigeons going to war. And I watched that film and was like, okay, this is, you know, just a film. But I watched a documentary called uh, War of the Birds or something. You can find it on YouTube. Uh, and you, if you watch that documentary and then you watch Valiant, you're like, this docu it's very historically accurate, actually. <laughs> this Pixar film about fucking birds getting sent to France. I'm just imagining that film, The Imitation Game, you know, where <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch plays Alan Turing and he's trying to crack the, the code so they can read all of the German messages. And someone says, we have someone who, who might have some information for us. And he goes in and it's just a couple of pigeons there. <laughs> and Turing's like, I'll get back to the computer. This, this is not going to help me in any way. Yeah, I think that is actually what happened in the, uh, the deleted scenes of the imitation game. They say the first casualty of war is innocence. <laughs> but from what you're telling me, the first casualty of war is pets. Well, as well, because they had to, they basically like rounded up people's pet pigeons you know, people were keeping them, and they because they were racing pigeons. Because you don't want street pigeons, but you know, you get the, you get the good ones. So people didn't want their pets being sent to war. First, they came for the gerbils, but I did nothing for for I was not a gerbil. <laughs> Uh, I'll not say too much about them, though, because I would really like to do an episode about the pigeons at some point. Uh, would you fuck a pigeon? We've already found out that Ed and... Yeah, you would, actually. <laughs> I mean, it feels less wrong, than I mean, when we did Jane Fool and, I, and we, we put her on the biotech artistry, I was a bit like, wow, this is what her legacy has been reduced mm. to. Would I bang her? I feel less bad about it if it's pigeons and dogs. Yeah. Well, I hope that people know that uh, we are just using whether you'd bang them as a, a vessel through which we can make a, a history podcast. <laughs> well, the thing is, as we always say, like it's it's not just the appearance. I actually am not going to do a Stalin episode because he is hot in his youth, mm-hmm. but we wouldn't bang him, would we? Because he's a monster. Yeah. And there are other people who maybe they're not as attractive, but they're cool. They're cool dudes and dudesses. Yeah, I think you need you need to be good on the inside. Exactly. It's like Stalin, hot, but nothing kills a wide on like a pogrom. <laughs> Am I right? As my grandmother always used to say. <laughs> <laughs> Old Granny Matha is famous for her sayings. So after five days of travel, they arrived at, oh God, I can't say this, Glergoa prisoner of war camp in Medan. Chief Petty Officer Leonard Williams recorded, thus began three to four years of the most horrific labour, torture, starvation and every degradation the Japanese could inflict upon us. Which sounds bad, I'm going to say. Judy's official prisoner of war name was 81A Glurger Medan. Yeah, good luck trying to get her to respond to that with fetch. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Judy was a good dog 
to have around uh, the, 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 the prison because she would distract. I like how this is you trying to convince me to put this dog on the biotech. It's a good dog. It's a good dog, Aiden, honestly. It's a really good dog. It's like, yeah, but it, but it is a dog. <laughs> She's solid. She'd distract guards as they were administering punishments, uh, which meant that they were the guards often tried to shoot her. Um, and she'd sneak out of the camp and bring food back into people. Whilst in the camp, she had a further five children. Our oh, puppies, as I believe we sometimes call them. <laughs> so she said 18 puppies at this point. Oh my god. That's like my grandma almost times two. <laughs> it's a lot, isn't it? But not as much as if you were a person. I'm Catholic and I think 18 is too much. That's, 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 that's how bad this situation is. <laughs> so in June 1944, the crew were transferred to Singapore. Judy got snuck onto the ship in a sack. Because obviously they didn't want to take a dog with them. The ship was torpedoed and it sank. Judy was only saved as she was thrown out of a porthole to fall 15 feet into the ocean. And it was really bad. 500 of the 700 people on board didn't survive the the sinking of the ship. But Judy, God bless her, brought flotsam to those in the water so that they could float and survive is this all real it's real this is mental right it's like, this is like a sort of chip of the wonder dog type kid story she's such where, a good girl <laughs> yeah just like i think i'm back on now i think mm. i'm inching towards yes i would she's like creating plumbing on islands she's chasing off snakes she survives alec crocodile attacks she literally a boat is sinking she survives and then brings bits of wood for people to float on yeah this is mental we're through no two-thirds of the way through what i'm gonna say here and i would say she has already had a more interest in life than either of us ever will do <laughs> i mean there's no doubt about that and she can have it i don't want to be taken as a prisoner of war um I'll live a boring life. I don't fucking care. Yeah, I feel like if I tried to distract a, a guard from torturing another inmate, I'd just get shot. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whereas she, she's sort of enterprising and quick enough to run away. Yes. I think it's probably that dog charisma. You can get away with a bit more if you're a dog. Yeah. Whereas if you're just a, a human male. People don't like it as much. It's not as cute. Is it? Uh, so after roughly a month in a camp in Singapore, Judy and friends were transported to Sumatra to clear jungle for the railroads for a year. The railroads, of course, being uh, the notoriously easy and uh, nice place to work as a prisoner of war. But this this experience changed her with fellow crewmate Frank Williams saying she wasn't that tame, obedient dog anymore. She was a skinny animal that kept herself alive through cunning and instinct, which is a shame. That's how you survive, isn't it? It is, yeah. (laughs) That's how you uh, earn your your keeps. Yeah, yeah, in London, the dog-eat-dog world. Stand-up comedy is a tough world. (laughs) Of the London open mic scene. You've got to go into those sewers and get those rats. Mm-hmm. You want to survive. Yeah, it is very much like working on the railroad as a prisoner of war. <laughs> I mean, you joke, but it, ah, it, is, it is brutal, isn't it? <laughs> it's really hard. You have to give so much and you might not get anything back from it in the long run. No, you probably won't get anything back in the long run. <laughs> I probably won't. You, you, you may be. No. Certainly not me. No, no, I won't. Right, so in early 1945, she became more aggressive towards the Japanese and Korean guards, with one of them actually shooting her. 
Uh, Frank was able to find her and dress the grays on her shoulder with palm fronds, but he couldn't do much else for her. Uh, they were moved out to different camp where Judy was sentenced to death to control a lice outbreak. She disappeared for three days, only returning once the Japanese guards had gone. The crew were rescued at the end of the war by the RAF. They got loaded onto a ship bound for Liverpool. Once again, Judy was smuggled <laughs> onto the boat. She stayed uh, hidden for, it was three days before they docked that they found her and the captain was fucking furious. <laughs> but at, what, at that point, what are you going to do? Turn the ship around. Yeah, exactly. Naval warfare is happening. I don't give a shit. I want that dog back where it started. <laughs> We're going back to Singapore. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's bad enough if you're in a car and someone's, you know, your kid suddenly wants to go to the bathroom 10 minutes into the journey. Mm. It's like, are we turning this car around for that? <laughs> are we turning the boat around for this enterprising dog? <laughs> when they got back, she had to spend six months in quarantine in Hackbridge, Surrey, um, which cost £12 that Frank Williams did not have. So he posted an advert in the Tailwaggers Club magazine to raise funny. <laughs> I love the name of the magazine. Yeah, to raise funds to help with the costs. She was released on the 29th of April, 1946, upon which she and Frank headed to London, where she was awarded the Four Valor Medal by the Kennel Club. That's what I was going to ask. Was there going to be a ceremony where like Winston Churchill like pins a purple heart to, to the dog oh there is a fucking ceremony my friend uh, she also got the Dickin medal which I, a lot of pigeons got too and horses and dogs uh, it's the animal equivalent of the Victoria Cross I'll tell you what She's going to get the dick in a medal for me at the end of the day. <laughs> um, she's also the only canine member of the returned British Prisoner of War Association. <laughs> wow. Yeah. What a claim to fame. She's adorable. She was interviewed by the BBC for their radio coverage of the London Victory Celebrations um, of 1946. And on the 8th of June, her barks were broadcast around the world as part of the programme In Town Tonight. Her and Frank appeared at the Stars of the Blitz and Battlefront event held at Wembley Stadium in front of over 82,000 spectators. For a year after the war, Frank and Judy visited the families of prisoners of war that didn't make it back home. Um, and they, apparently that was, people found that quite comforting that she was what, there. How, how's that comforting? Like, I know your loved one did not return. But this one did. We managed to save a dog instead. <laughs> we had a choice. We were like, could we save your son or could we save this dog? And we took the dog. <laughs> Ultimately, your son couldn't catch a ball in its mouth by jumping in the air. So we went for the dog. So, so, <laughs> sorry, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Soz. <laughs> On the 22nd of July, 1946, uh, both Frank and Judy were demobilised and they could return home to Portsmouth. Uh, On the 10th of May, 1948, they left to work on a government-funded groundnut food scheme in East Africa, which is where she had a third and final litters, litter of puppies during her time in Africa. So what number are we up to now? I couldn't find out how many puppies she had in the last litter. Well, if it's plural, it's at least 20. Oh yeah, we're in the 20s now. Did any of the puppies like fo follow the mother in, in her career? Did any of them end up in Korea, fighting the Korea, <laughs> or maybe, maybe they were sent to Vietnam to deploy napalm bombs or anything? I'll be honest, I think the people that were around Judy were not in the best place to be tracking her offspring. 
whilst <laughs> fighting for their life in a prisoner of war true. camp. But if you have got a pointer, because she was a pointer, maybe it's related to Judy. It's pointer the, the breed of dog? Yeah. Well, in that case, since you couldn't even be bothered to source a photo of Judy, <laughs> uh, I'm going to at gonna least Google, Google pointer dog. There's loads of pictures of Judy. Uh, oh, is there? Yeah, I just wanted to trick you. So... Oh, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, hello. Oh, yeah. Do you like what you see? Swiping right on this bad girl. Yeah. <laughs> I love all the names of the books that have been written about her and other dogs. Yeah. It's so cheesy. Judy, a dog in a million. <laughs> war dog. Mm-hmm. GI dogs. <laughs> Prisoners of war. No better friend. Wow. If you've not got a better friend than a dog, you're probably an arsehole. If you've got no better friend than a, a dog... Uh, get a hobby. I say that, but you know, I've got two cats and uh, no friends. Uh, <laughs> so you're just describing my life, cat. <laughs> so after two years in Africa, Judy was discovered to have a mammary tumor. An operation removed the growth, but a tetanus infection soon set in, and she was euthanized on the 17th of February, 1950, at the age of almost 14. Do you reckon in the later years of her life, you know, the end of the Hurt Locker? Um, Jeremy Renner's character, who's a bomb disposal expert, returns from duty in Iraq. Mm. But he misses his old life. He misses he misses the risk-taking. Yeah. And there's a shot of him, like, looking at a wall of cereal yeah. in the supermarket, and it's alien to him, and it just then, like, cuts to him back on duty, because he'd rather be doing that than living a humdrum life. Do you reckon that was the case with Judy? Do you reckon that she was ever in, like, the co-op, looking <laughs> at tins of chum, just going, God, I wish I was saving soldiers, <laughs> drowning soldiers <laughs> in the... Uh, Indian Sea right now. I've got to be honest with you, I don't think she'd give a shit. She's getting laid, it's warm, what more does she want? She was buried in her RAF jacket with her campaign medals, which were the Pacific Star, 1939 to 1945 Star, not very catchy, and the Defence Medal. Frank spent two months building a granite and marble memorial in her memory, which included a plaque that told her life story. The memorial in Tanzania has lost its plaque and was in disrepair by 2016. That's disgraceful. Yeah. That's like when people tarnish war memorials with graffiti, is that? No, no respect for our fallen soldiers, for our veterans. I think you can disagree with a war and still not uh, piss on a grave. Support the soldiers, don't support the war. Mm-hmm. Depending on the war, of course. And the soldier. I mean, I, I support all wars. Yeah, but yeah. No, but no soldiers. <laughs> No. If we could do war without soldiers, I'd yeah, be in. Exactly. I'm up for any war, any invasion. I'm always up for it. Send in the drones. Mm-hmm. We will do one day. This is going to age really badly. <laughs> I <laughs> feel spec- like, yeah, I feel like the day before we release this episode, America's going to send in a thousand drones into Ukraine. Lots of people are going to die. And this podcast, which already wasn't very funny anyway, gets a whole lot less funny. <laughs> you just get cancelled. <laughs> So, Judy the dog, would you? <laughs> Fucking hell, <Cal. laughs> ah, This really, really took me by surprise, this, because listeners haven't heard the bonus bangs yet. Without spoiling things too much, the bonus bangs are a little bit more whimsical mm-hmm. than the regular episodes. So, you actually told me about Judy the dog about two months ago. I did. But because we were recording a main episode, I was like, it just it didn't occur to me that we were doing the dog. Full whimsy, baby. We've gone full whimsy in a main episode. Mm. Right, here's what I'm going to do. I wouldn't fuck a dog. <laughs> I've always said, if there's one thing I won't fuck, it's children. But if there's another thing I won't fuck, it's dogs. 
That's um, fair. But what I am going to do is I'm going to imagine for the sake of this exercise, I am a dog. Uh-huh. You're like Paul, French Paul. Yeah, yeah, I'm French Paul. And I'm assessing, do, do I want to have sex with this dog? And and to be honest, if you look at it from that angle, Judy is right up there. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's her, it's Lassie, it's Bouncer from Neighbours. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the top echelon of canine. She's an elite dog, right? Um... I'm going to have to say yes. Yeah. As far as dogs go, she's top of the pile. And I like the idea of, on our bio-tap history of people from history that we'd ban, there just is a dog on there. <laughs> if anyone ever actually draws it for us, people are going to look at that and think, why the hell is there a dog on there? That means one of them must have said, yes, I'll have sex with the dog. Yeah. And that's an amusing image. So I believe currently on the bio-tap history, we have Jane Fall. Uh, you Did you say yes to Byron last week? I did say yes to Byron. So we currently have Jane Fall, the Tudor comedian, mm-hmm. Lord Byron, the poet, and Judy, the World War Two dog. Yeah. What esteemed company they are all in. Also, and this is a, taking a wild left turn, but I feel like I found out this fact, right, and... Uh, I wanted to share it. I thought this was the exact, the correct place to share it. So I was looking into uh, the background of Lonely Hearts ads, right? And so apparently the modern day newspaper was introduced in, like, we, we invented that in, like, 1690. By 1695, people were putting out Lonely Hearts ads. And in the early 1700s, this woman called Helen Morrison decided that she was going to put out a Lonely Hearts ad. She was the first woman to do it in the Manchester Weekly Journal. And uh, she got put in an insane asylum for a month. What? Right. Putting a Lonely Hearts ad out? Mm-hmm. Do you want to know what the Lonely Hearts ad said? Yeah, I mean, unless it was the gibberings of someone absolutely insane. No, I mean, it sounds incredibly insane what she's asking for. She wanted someone nice to spend my life with. Lock her up. Yeah. Crazy bitch. <laughs> Put her in Arkham Asylum with all Batman's mad villains. Mm-hmm. She is fucking bonkers. Like Suicide Squad. <laughs> <laughs> well, so was that the only reason? Was it just that was that the only evidence? Was that Exhibit One? And they were like, yeah. guilty of insanity. Yeah, because she's a woman and she knows what she wants. If putting yourself out there for romance in a public forum qualifies you for insanity, then... We'd all be in rubber walls these days because we're all on dating apps, aren't we? Mm. I met my wife on a dating app. But if, if this was the 1940s, 1950s, I'd have a bit of rubber in my mouth and they'd be giving me electroshock therapy. Yeah. We're going to put 20,000 volts for you, sir, because you dared to need. <laughs> Just affection. Does that make you feel, as a single person looking for love, does that make you feel mad, Kath? The fact that the first woman who asked for someone to be nice to her got put in an insane asylum <laughs> yeah exactly yeah i guess a little bit you're gonna wake up tomorrow with a letter and thing saying aiden mccaffrey has sectioned you <laughs> <laughs> because he heard you were on bumble <laughs> i don't know that i would thrive if i was incarcerated most comedians say that when they were at school and they were bullied they got out of it by cracking jokes mm-hmm. and people thought oh, they were funny so they're the class clown i'm not sure if that works in prison no Do you know what i mean <laughs> If I'm in prison and someone asks me to pick up a soap and I'm like, oh, what's the deal with self-service checkout? I don't think that's going to stop them bumming me. <laughs> if they're like holding a knife to your throat and you're like, yeah, well, I shagged your mum. I don't think that would <laughs> diffuse the situation. If, if anything, you're getting stabbed and bummed in that situation. Mm-hmm.
That's it for historical hot or not. And remember, it's not what's on the outside, it's what's on the inside of the coffin that counts. See you next week, everybody. You have been listening to Historical Hot or Not. If you'd like to contribute, we would fucking love that. So you can find us, we're at coffee, buy us a coffee. Uh, don't send it to us personally. It'll be cold by then. Uh, but it's co-b.com forward slash hot not pod. Uh, send us some coffee, not real coffee. Send us the money for coffee. Episodes written by Aidan McCaffrey and Catherine Mather. Our wonderful logo is by Richard Todd and all music by David Eagle.